It is Monday, January 27, 2020, and we come to you today in shock. Kobe Bryant passed away on Sunday afternoon after he was involved in a helicopter crash on the way to his daughter Gianna's basketball game at the Mamba Academy in Calabasas, California. We dive into yesterday's events and the life and legacy of Kobe Bryant, and also Howard Beck joins us to give his perspective. All that and more coming up. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher. And normally, this is where I, I make some jokes. Yeah. That rhyme with Benny's past life and current life. But today, I think we're all feeling hashtag Mamba forever. So I just wanted to do this pod all devoted to the life legacy of Kobe Bryant because I feel it's incredibly Im- important because a big event happened yesterday. And, and we'll take you through step by step. How we all found out the news yesterday. But Benny, just right off the bat, this is significant event for sports, news, and culture of the 21st century. For sure. It, it was something that was was it was strange to to take it in at first because obviously I don't know Kobe Bryant. You know what I mean? But in a strange way, I feel like I did. And I was almost forced to explore like the reason I was affected so deeply. You know, a lot of people pass away and a lot of celebrities and people I follow and musicians and, and quite a few that were important to me too in the last couple of years. And I normally have a sympathetic reaction, a sad reaction and, and, and my life moves on, you know, because I didn't know the people. I don't have to, attend a funeral or a service. I don't have to call anyone, you know, like, um, but somehow when this happened yesterday, I found myself like legitimately shook and, uh, legitimately upset in a way that I couldn't really understand at first. And when I start to explore the situation, you realize like this guy has just been part of my narrative for so long. You know, I was 15 when he was 17 at Lower Marion High School, I remember seeing articles about the guy. The, the Nets were super high on him. Like there was a lot of chatter about a local guy who, who could go very high in the draft and stuff like that. And then watched him get drafted. His NBA debut was literally two days after my 16th birthday, November 3rd, 1996. And uh, so that means literally like I was 16 when he started and my entire adult life has been kind of progressing with not only Kobe Bryant's career, but since he was such a powerful personality, it's been going with his story, a story he was so good at writing most of the time, too. You know, someone who uh, had this ability to to pen his own narrative in a way and be so smart about the way it's presented most of the time. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, I think this is going to become one of those flashbulb events, you know, like uh, everybody's going to remember sort of like where they heard and how they reacted and their initial thing to it. Uh, yeah. So so you were at um, you were at Sirius yesterday right. when this happened. What, what was your day like? So yesterday was pretty crazy. So. I'm not sure how many of, of the podcast audience know this. I produce NBA Insiders with Jason Jackson and Amino Hassan. Jason shout Jackson. Out. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to them. 
Jax has worked for the Miami Heat for, I, th- I think, the past 15 years. Amino Hassan also works at ESPN. And we do this fun show every Sunday morning. Yeah. It's light. It's like sure. a basketball brunch. So I'm at Sirius at, at about 9 a.m. You know, we're getting ready for, for the show. Show goes off great, like normal. And we get done, and, and I'm doing my post-production work, you know, getting okay. stuff up on social for Sirius XM NBA. But the guy, guys still stay in studio, the host well, and stuff? Amina Hassan doesn't normally do the show from New York, but was in New York yesterday because it's also past week. You had the big uh, remembrance of David Stern sure, at sure. Radio City. So he was right. in town for that. He has family in New York, so he was here for that. So I'm getting done with everything. It's about 2 o'clock. The events in Calabasas... The chopper went down at about 10.47 local time, 1.47 Eastern time. Right. So I was just about ready to go home. On my way out, I was like, I'm going to get a bacon, egg, and cheese from the deli right there. Love it. I'm sitting sitting there, eating it, and then the texts just start coming in. Right. First from Jax, he sends me the story from TMZ, and I'm like, there's no way. Like, there's fundamentally no way that this story happened. There's no way that Kobe Bryant... A guy who is untouchable. Yeah. Like, Kobe is one of the few cultural untouchables. Sure. And you you think that your athletes are immortal. You think that your athletes are all of the superhero. above. Exactly. Total superhero. Superhuman. Yeah, yeah. So then the phone calls start coming in from my boss, Sean Butler, who at NBA Radio were directly, like, were a direct arm of, of the NBA. Mm. So it's a, a tight spot to be in. So... I start getting those calls at about 2.15, just as I'm ready to go home. Sure. Already had a full day, and just the shock. And there's the first wave of shock, Kobe Bryant killed, right? Yeah. And then at about 2.30, I'd say closer to 3, you start hearing rumors of, well, maybe his daughters. Yeah. Daughters, all, plural. All, yeah, I had were, heard the whole involved. family being reported right. at first. Yeah. That the entire Bryant clan... Yeah. Right, the downside so, to uh, immediate, exactly, immediate news is, breaking. Yeah, so that's at about two thirty. My boss Sean is like, "How quickly can you get on the air? Because we have this responsibility." Sure. Yeah. And yeah, you're literally a basketball program, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. we are the NBA. Sure. So we get on the air at about three o'clock, and then this news of the kids starts rolling in, and I didn't have time to process that Kobe Bryant had actually died. Yeah. Till. After I was done at six o'clock, right, and we had programming all on through the night. But the so those those guys came back in to, to yeah, do coverage, right. right. So Amin was at at brunch stuff like that. Luckily, Jax can connect via the internet. Sure. So Amin comes back in, and we're like, okay. Like, now, what's their disposition like yesterday? Did they know him personally, and and are affected and having to move forward with the show? Or so the incredible thing about yesterday was the fact that. You always hear for people that cover basketball, people that are part of basketball, that there's like the NBA community. Yes. And yes. you may not know somebody directly. You you may have only competed against them once. Sure. But I mean, Amin was in the Phoenix front office. Yeah. In prime Kobe. Yeah. So yeah. he's doing the scouting reports. He's doing yep. all, all of that stuff. He does the jump. Kobe's been a frequent guest on the jump with Rachel sure. Nichols. So there's all that kind of. It's a guy that you've gotten to know, not only through his public persona, but through people that you know th- that just, know him as well. Right, and you're just part of the same world. A- exactly. Yeah. So Jax, who has worked for the Heat, took it super hard mm. because Dwayne Wade, 
of my alma mater yes. and Kobe were incredibly c- yes. close. Yes. Kobe would, was down in Miami a lot. And that's the one thing, not to go on, on, on a quick side note, and, and I'll get back to the story in just a sec, but the amount of guys that Kobe Bryant yeah. helped uh, just develop into yes. the players that they became. I mean, like you look at your Dwayne Wade's and most recently Giannis. He helped Giannis and Giannis was able to take his game to the next level. Yeah. So even as like such a serious and insane competitor, he seemed to always have this uh like an affinity for people with a lot of drive and for people who wanted to do their craft at the highest level. And I think even the people he was competing against who had sort of the same aspirations as him, he he had a, a mutual respect for in a way that I think he wanted to help him. You know, yeah. he wanted people to be great if yeah. they had a chance to be great, right? Right. So back to the events of yesterday. So we're sitting around, we're believing like there's no way that this can be true, yeah. but let's be on the air in case it is true. Like we need to be there. Sure. And I'm told to, you know, put it on like the PD, PDT, which is. When you're listening to Sirius, it's it's the screen that you see, which is like, if oh, okay. you're listening to the music, it's like, I see. It's like song artist. What's PDT stand for out of curiosity? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I just put the stuff on there. Okay, I don't okay. ask the questions. Gotcha. But, so, I put reports, Kobe Bryant involved in helicopter crash in LA, and... Even after we got the confirmation at about 4.30 that the worst had happened, the unthinkable had yeah. happened, yeah, I could not bring myself to like write it. Wow. Because for everything that you have, like for all of the media that you see, there is somebody behind the scenes that has to write right. breaking Kobe Bryant killed in helicopter crash. You were that guy yesterday. That was tough. And I was yeah. alone. I was doing all sure. of the yesterday, all of the production stuff alone. So yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange, right. weird responsibility to carry. Yeah. The other weird responsibility of all of this is having to text and call people mm. that knew him a whole lot better than the three of us. That sure. I called Michael Thompson, Clay Thompson's dad. I called Charles Barkley. I, I called a bunch of people that were. Either mentors to Kobe, new Kobe, all of that stuff. So, I mean, it's a unthinkable thing to have to do to call someone who want, they've just lost one of their friends, close people, and say, do you want to come talk about this? Yeah. I, I, I kind of don't know like how I was able to do it because it's just so... like strange like normally like you want to give people their privacy sure but if there's one thing about kobe bryant there's one thing about the nba it's the spotlight it's the show and i hate the fact that someone's death is i don't want to say it but it's entertainment because it feeds a a a cycle it feeds because every single person was refreshing twitter every 30 seconds yesterday checking every sports channel for any kind of news they can find about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a strange thing. It's, you know, I can understand where it would feel exploitive on, on someone from your side, but at the other side, it's like people care. Yeah. People care deeply. And the thing that makes people feel better sometimes is information. Yeah. It's facts. It's the way people thought about it. So I can understand where you're, uh, 
where it's coming from and and the necessity of why everyone forced themselves to talk. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of our hosts come on that like either uh, their careers overlapped with Kobe. Uh, Antonio Daniels went head to head with Kobe in an NBA finals. Right. And it's just overall getting the vibe of that world, which good, good or bad. I mean, like if you're going to be there as like the Warriors look unbeatable, a Lakers three P you got to also be there, I guess when the unthinkable and one of the greatest sports tragedies happens. And with all, all of that said coming up in a few moments, we're going to have someone who was there from the beginning yeah. of Kobe Bryant. Someone who was there when Kobe Bryant first came to L.A. And he was there through the end of the career and really developed a great personal connection. That's Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. He had a beautiful tribute this morning, so we'll yeah. talk to him in beautiful a few piece. minutes. But, Benny, where were you when you heard all of this? Uh, I found out, like most people, which was text. You know, for someone like me from... You know, most of my friends are musicians uh, in, in one way or the other and or involved in that world. And I'm to them like the basketball guy, you know, like for most of my friends, I'm the biggest NBA fan they know, like by far. So I'm like their point of contact when they need advice on betting basketball games. <laughs> they call me when they want to know about injuries, when they want to talk shit. So, you know, I had a good eight or nine texts from different people just being like, what the fuck? You know, same thing. Nobody saying anything but being completely aghast. Uh, and then, of course, me going on to Twitter, refreshing the feed, seeing real stories, fake stories, you know, waiting to see who's on the helicopter, any number of things. And then, you know, the crazy thing about yesterday is I spent most of the Sunday, I spent most of the day with my kids yesterday, you know, and I'm sitting there with my daughter, like, most of the day. And I honestly, like, I know it's something sad to talk about on a podcast or something. Like, I cannot stop reliving the final moment. You know, I can't mm. stop reliving the final moment of a man and his daughter in this situation and the feeling like I would have if I'm literally like holding my daughter, knowing there's like something coming for us both. Like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, what a experience to have and what a crazy thing to try to comprehend you know so so it, it was almost impossible yesterday to not just like go straight into like a real sense of your own mortality and your own life and uh and how short it is I mean you saw you know you saw so many posts yesterday about people just being like it comes for us all you never know when you know respect every day respect all these people and Sometimes it does take these these awfully tragic moments to remember that, you know, these flashbulb moments. Well, Benny, for as tough as yesterday was for both of us, uh, let's hear from somebody who had firsthand knowledge of Kobe. Clippers coach Doc Rivers yesterday broke down in front of the media, and rightly so. Yeah. Here's what the Clippers man had to say. I just don't have a lot to say. I, uh... The news is just devastating to everybody uh, who knew him, known him a long time. And, uh, you know, he, he just, he, mean, he means a lot to me, obviously. Um, you know, he was such a great opponent, you know. Um, it's what you want in sports. Um, 
Yeah, that that DNA that um, that very few athletes can ever have. You know, the the Tiger Woods and the, the Michael Jordans. You know, um, it's funny. I uh, I was getting to know him more since he retired. You know. Um, Yeah, this is this is a tough one. I don't. Uh, I mean, we have to go play. Uh, I mean, the news is just so devastating for for Vanessa and and his and his family. And um, there's just so many people he touched, you know. Um, and you know, it's, it's looking at my young players and, and seeing how emotional uh, they are. Um, they didn't even know him, you know, and. Uh, it just tells you how far his reach was. So, um, I mean, this is just shocking news for all of us. And sorry, I don't have a lot to say. Uh, I just can't. Uh, I have to go talk to a team uh, before a game and tell them to play. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, Benny. I mean, like, you. You can have all of the professional training in the world. You can all of the leadership professional, but nothing will prepare you for the kind of situation where you need to go yeah. in and find a way to motivate guys. A lot of them who knew them, Paul George, yeah, tight with Kobe, Kawhi, Close. tight with Kobe. Yeah. So, but I want to kind of pivot into the decision to play yesterday. Yeah. This is something I firmly believe Kobe would have wanted because he was the guy, you know, there there's a famous story of uh, him and O.J. Mayo, when O.J. Mayo was coming into the league, and and he, he was like, hey, can I work out with you? And Kobe's like, sure, pick you up at 3. Right, right. And O.J. Mayo assumes it's 3 p.m., <laughs> and Kobe is at his house yeah, yeah. at 3 a.m., and right. O.J. Mayo is flat asleep. So he's a guy who was tireless, he's tireless. Uh, from high school. He wanted to be the best. Yeah. He wanted to be Michael Jordan. So to not play because of something that happened to Kobe, I think would actually have made Kobe mad. Probably. I mean, the, you know, my first reaction when I heard it is like, this is so devastating. And you start to hear some reactions trickle in and I'm like, oh, they can't fucking play tonight. I'm like, how are they going to play? How are these guys going to play? How are these guys going to coach? And then like exactly like you said, you let it sit for a couple hours and think about the man and the countless, countless stories of him being just a tireless worker and wanting the best not only wanting the best for himself, but wanting basketball to be the best, wanting people to play it at a very high level. And uh, I think Howard Beck, our friend, summed it up nicely in his article where he said Kobe would have said, fuck yes, we need <laughs> to play. And and I, I appreciate that honor. I had a similar situation when my mom passed away. And it was right in the middle of a Gaslight Anthem tour. A show in Philly was literally the only like show I've ever missed for Gaslight. And it was like the day she died. And, you know, we're Jews, so it happens fast. And two days later, we're paying the PNC Bank Arts Center, the biggest headlining Gaslight show ever. And the day before, I buried my mom. So that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. But at no point did I consider not playing the show. And that's because, like, mom's one that had it, you know? She was a silly rock and roll lady and... and we went to PNC shows together, uh, sat in the lawn, you know, <laughs> did the real thing. And I couldn't imagine in, in another life, in another time, who knows what happens, but explaining to her the reason I didn't play the biggest headline show I ever played. Like, she wouldn't have had it, mm. and I had to do it. 
And as hard as it was, uh, I think it was definitely the finest way to, to honor her. Exactly. And a ton of tributes yesterday. The Grammys and Alicia Keys opened with a tribute from her and Boys to Men, Boys to Men, famously from Philly, Kobe's hometown, and a lot of other tributes. I mean, just the night before, Kobe was paying tribute to LeBron, who passed him on yeah. the all-time scoring list. I know. And that was a big topic of conversation. Like, how many people that pass away like this that are former players are in the conversation during the week? I mean, he had the comment about a woman like Diana Taurasi could play yeah. in the NBA. Like, these were things that we were talking about on the radio, yeah. like, all, like, last week. And, and then, especially with Saturday night in Philly, like, right. it just, it's... It, it it's unthinkable really he was so prescient it's like uh you know most people like step away from the game and you know if they don't go into the box you kind of forget not forget about yeah. them but they just turn into someone from the annals of basketball history right. and you start kind of just dealing with their stat he like he never went away you know and that's maybe one of the geniuses of kobe in a way like you hear from all people who knew him close and uh even if he wasn't intentionally a PR mastermind. He he had such a strong sense of self and what he wanted to convey that even after his playing career, that that definitely perpetuated because people were just attracted to what he was doing. And it was almost what that idea that um whatever Kobe was gonna do, you knew he was gonna do to the max. Right. You knew he like whatever he was gonna take on was gonna get the full Mamba treatment. And it was probably going to be done in this way uh, that that's incredibly inspiring. And and I think that's something that some people have talked about and it's trickled out in some ways is, is you know, the way a life can inspire you. And, you know, when I think about it, I, I've literally like sat at my drums, you know what I mean? Tired or like not in the mood or something like that and thought about Kobe, <laughs> like for real. I'm not even kidding. I've thought about Kobe, those stories about you know, him showing up uh, or, or never leaving the gym, you know, and it's two hours later and some guys mopping the fucking, you know, mopping the right. concession stands and he's out there putting up like 200 shots. Or as you said, like these stories about him showing up. There's a funny story Dwayne Wade had, too, about the Olympic team. And they were all, you know, on site somewhere. And, uh, you know, they showed up early, like 8 a.m. and thought they were about to get some work in. And they saw Kobe already kind of you know, work. They're like, oh, what'd you do? You just get out of the pool or something? He was there at five, did a full workout, was icing his knees, had the training staff there, you know, and and uh, those were the Olympic teams he, you know, he 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 took to the end. So, so you never know, like, uh, the way these things trickle down is like when you're around somebody who's just working so damn hard all the time and has that focus, it's kind of hard to be somebody who's like slipping back. You know, and and that must have raised the level of his teams immensely. I actually have the six 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 plan in front of me right here, which was six hours a day, six days a week, six months a year. And get this, that was his off season plan. <laughs> <laughs> like there was so there's one story during the 1999 2000 season. Uh, he was the first player in the gym the day after breaking his wrist. Right and dribbling uh, lefty right and, and he was doing things offhand yeah. which is in, incredible to me and then um the other great story is uh kobe at the team usa thing in 
Vegas from 4 a.m. to 11 a.m. Like the call time was 11 a.m. for practice. He got up 800 shots. So it's just <laughs> this complete dedication to the craft, which honestly, like when I think that's that's the big thing that you can take away and not to step on Kobe's legacy, but Kobe inspired a, a lot of people. And if you can wake up every day with that Mamba mentality and yeah. really just like, I don't think that there's anything that you can't accomplish. But I want to talk about Kobe's career because we've done a, a, a lot of talk about the event, the sadness, but let's kind of relive some of the happy times. Sure. So the Hornets chose Kobe with the 13th overall pick in the 1996 NBA draft, a famous draft day trade. Uh, For Vlade Divac. That's right. Yeah, and what a crazy draft, mm. too, when you look back on it. Uh, number one, Allen Iverson. Number two, Marcus Camby. Number four, Stefan Marbury. Number five, Ray Allen. Number six, Antoine Walker. Number eight to the Nets, Kerry Kittles. Uh, five picks before Kobe Bryant. And here's where it gets really funny. Number 10, Indiana, Eric Dampier. Number 11, Golden State Warriors, Todd Fuller. Number 12, Cleveland picks Vitaly Potapenko, who I don't know if, if you know this, Fuller and Potapenko didn't really work out. Hmm. Yeah. Didn't hear their names. Didn't be, you don't say. <laughs> didn't become household names. So it's one of those classic things. But as a Nets fan, you know, there was a lot of talk at the time that he was not strong arming, but giving the impression via his agents that he didn't want to play in New Jersey. And if they drafted him, he may go to Italy and play uh you know, pro ball over there, which people believed and scared them off enough. So the idea that he was uh, perhaps effectively uh, making it predestiny that he went to the Lakers seems seems pretty uh, seems pretty real for sure. All right, so just the quick highlights of Kobe's career, the accomplishments. Nobody made more All NBA defensive first teams in NBA history. He made nine, and he made. The last one in his 15th season. Nobody made more All-NBA teams in NBA history than Kobe with 15. Made All-NBA first team in his 17th season. And just for kind of perspective, a teammate of his, Byron Scott, was already in his 13th (laughs) season as an NBA head coach at that point. So crazy. Kobe finished with five championships. One of three guys to finish with. 30,000 points and five rings, joining Kareem and Michael Jordan. So just those three guys. Benny, I'm not sure if you want to run through some of these classic NBA Finals performances from Kobe. Well, I was at one. Yeah. That totally broke my heart. So, I mean, I've had some great live experiences with Kobe. I uh, I mean, most recently witnessed his, his first game at Barclays Center when he came for the first time. Uh, a defeat to the Nets, and this was when the Nets were still pretty good in that time. And um, yeah, I don't remember exactly the game he put up, but there was a, a monumental part of it where Kobe threw one down on Gerald Wallace and Chris Humphreys combined. Uh, <laughs> you should YouTube this dunk. Cause I it, it, remember it, watching because it was yeah. like it was like this. Uh, here's a new stadium that you've never been to. Here you go, Kobe. <laughs> like it, it was like he had to do something incredible that first time to just like christen the stadium almost it's like a breaking a bottle on a new boat it's like what kobe had to do and then you know uh after getting out out of that insane uh series with the sacramento kings in 02 they uh came to the swamp to play new jersey in the finals and um i was 
21 years old and a very invested Nets fan at the time. I couldn't afford season tickets yet, but uh, at the old uh, Continental Airlines, it was pretty easy to get in and fairly cheap most of the time. Actually, ancillary story to this is you could get into Continental Airlines at the door during those finals games. You didn't need to buy tickets in advance. One of the reasons they most definitely should have moved to Brooklyn. And by the way... In that in, in in the closeout game, he was the youngest player ever, ever to have at least twenty five points and eight assists in an NBA Finals closeout game. Just a just a incredible. Yeah, incredible. yeah. Well, I mean, the run was interesting. So so you know, the Nets go to the finals against the Lakers. They drop two in L.A., where Shaq just went nuts both of those games. The Nets had no answer for him. And then Game Three, I'm there. I'm like, we're home. It's a good team. And I really thought we had a chance to at least run this a little longer. You know what I mean? Get a couple games out of this. Let me get a, a game six in New Jersey or something. And the game's going well. Kid is balling. Kmart is balling. And then Kobe put up 36 and just broke our hearts. We lost 106-103. And I honestly... Once we were down 0-3 and that game was such a heartbreaker, I knew. I knew game four was, like, not going to happen. And I knew we had no chance after that. This was way before uh, LeBron in 16 came back from 0-3 and convinced everyone that that's possible. (laughs) So I didn't even go to game four because I was so disenfranchised. And, uh, and, And it was an interesting finals experience. Sadly, I never got to see it again. But uh, witnessing Kobe Bryant even destroy my own team in an NBA Finals was was quite a treat to watch. Well, and it's funny because Kobe, like, ripped the heart out of everybody, every, every single fan base. Like, you did not go unscathed from Kobe Bryant. The one memory I have is 2001, him straight up saying to his hometown of Philadelphia, I'm going to rip your heart out, and he did, did. and yeah. they never forgave him for that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Benny, for as... Great of a career, and as for as much as Kobe is revered, it wasn't always sunshine and three-peats and stuff like that. Him and Shaq had that very public dispute. Uh, Uncomfortably public, yeah, right? Like diss tracks, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. like Kobe ain't done without me, like oh, all yeah. of that stuff. I mean, in that time, the press, literally, they were just using the press to talk shit on exactly. each other. They were like across from each other in the locker room using their own sets of reporters. Apparently in those days, there were like Shaq reporters and Kobe reporters. And the ones who were friendly to each of those were the only ones Shaq and Kobe would talk to. And then they would just undercut each other in those interviews. But they won all those finals with it. You know what I mean? That's the thing is like, they were still doing it. (laughs) and They did not one, not two, not three, and actually did it. Exactly. And in that one, that's one that aged... To me, it aged in Kobe's favor. Right, exactly. Because, of course, when I'm a kid, when I'm 19 years old and I see sort of a a sullen, serious player who's like just taking it so seriously, you're almost like, have some fun, motherfucker. And then you see Shaq, you know what I mean? Like just the, the most gregarious, fun guy doing this. And you're like, oh, I love Shaq. Shaq's the man. And then you learn like later in life that Kobe just basically was like, can you... Can you come in shape? Can yeah. you work harder? Because if you did, we could win like 10 straight rings. You know? There is no doubt to me that Shaq bouncing around team to team hurt his legacy. Oh, I know yeah. he would like deny it and stuff like that. He was just trying to win more championships. 
But man, if they both stay Lakers forever, I honestly don't know who the bigger star is. And that may have been the problem. I think that was the problem. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear. And when it's not like Phil Jackson and Kobe's relationship magically repaired. It was because Kobe was the man. You know what I mean? Like at the beginning, sure, he was younger and he had some things to learn. But at the same time, uh, once Shaq was gone, once Kobe could have the ball in his hands all the time and be the man, I think he was a lot more easy to work with. But that also ties into something else because there was another incident that happened in between the two sets of championships, which is obviously the sexual assault case in Denver. I'd feel remiss for not bringing this up at all. It's a major part of his history. Uh, it's a major event that needs to be talked about. Um, I even peruse back through court records and police transcripts that, that weren't available at the time and weren't even available until a couple years ago. And uh, it's just as ugly and horrifying as I remember. Um, one of those things that like... Uh, regardless if the accusations were correct or not, which we'll never know, uh, it still put him in a position to be, you know, called out for being a cheater, called out for being scummy, called out for uh, obviously everything he deserved to be called about. about. So this has been covered extensively. I don't want to get into it too much. Again, I said I felt remiss not even bringing it up at all because people have, have these dips, and this was more than a dip because this greatly affected somebody else's life and their family's life. So it needs to be taken really seriously. The thing that it, I really thought about in regards to this was, was the concept of redemption and the idea that Kobe Bryant obviously recovered from this. You know what I mean? He was uh, taken back by the L.A. community. He was rewarded with a seven-year, $140 million contract. He got his Nike sponsorship back. He got his Coca-Cola sponsorship back. Won two more rings. And then before you knew it, in the last few years, was just nothing but a father figure, nothing but a loving husband, and nothing but a positive example. So if this happens today, like take any player in the NBA right now and, and have the same allegations against them, I have to imagine they would be mostly ostracized from the league. I'd have to imagine their uh, sponsorships, their contracts, their teams, there wouldn't be people willing to take it on quite so easily because it's a different landscape these days. But I wonder if Kobe was removed from the game at that time, if he was removed from the public eye at that time and never given the chance for redemption, this whole second life never happens. And this second life was really impactful and it was really moving. And it uh, even to the point, you know, I know there's a $4 million ring and shit that's part of it. But like the fact that he seemed to legitimately repair things with his wife and legitimately restart his family, have more kids after and be fully dedicated to it and seem to not be astray at all. It's uh, it's commendable in that way. And it, it's almost if you want someone to redeem themselves, you take a lot of steps to redeem yourself. And, and he did most of the things that maybe you should do, uh, with the exception of making a, a very outward statement, which the courts can't allow him because it was an NDA in a civil case. Um, 
But I do wonder, this this can be used almost as like a, a benchmark for this conversation because there have been a lot of people who have been sort of ostracized or put aside for really minor transgressions, you know, over the last few years. This was a major transgression that somebody was able to recover from and impact the world in a positive way afterwards. You know what I mean? And I wish uh, there was a path to redemption for other people. And, and sometimes I wish there was a, um, a more useful way to let people make mistakes, especially in their 20s and things like that, and recover for a life, for a life of maybe positivity afterwards. And I think this case can, can be used in a lot of different ways to kind of fuel that discussion. You're exactly right with the whole redemption thing. I mean, the Kobe Bryant case in Colorado was one of like the first sports scandals that I remember in my life. Right. I mean, if you're 25, 26 like I am now, there was no Michael. Right. I saw Michael play once and he was with the Wizards. Right, right, right. Like that's not I mean that's, still 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 performing well, but Kobe Kobe was the guy. And then yeah. LeBron comes around and you're like, who the heck is this? But the Kobe case in Colorado was one of like the first it was like the that and the Patrick Dennehy thing mm-hmm. from Baylor. Right. Were, like right. the two big uh sports scandals that I remember being like, Oh, this isn't always just the games. This can be more, this can be news, this can be all of that. So I think the way he came back from that, I mean, I think winning cures a lot. Sure. I think winning two more championships in Los Angeles That's helped right. him a lot by that. And Significantly. I think staying with one team. I know that there were times mm. in the like around like 2008, 2009 where he was like, maybe I don't want to be a Laker That's for true. like maybe That's a good maybe point. this is too much. So does he yeah, does he if these people didn't watch him grow? from 17 to, to this and literally become a man in front of their eyes. I do wonder, that's a good point. If he had switched teams, the fan base certainly would not have been as warm to him. Or yeah. as uproarious as they were this two summers ago when LeBron was like, I'm joining the Lakers. Right. And they were like, uh, no, you're not. This yeah. is a Kobe town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. there's all of that that has really helped his legacy. But then I think... For all of his life, he committed to basketball, and he was driven by something deep down that I don't think any of us will know about, but there was a unhappiness that has been very well documented about how he wasn't the happiest person. There was internal demons that fueled him, but his chance at committing himself to his family, like he had committed himself to basketball all, all of those years, and I mean... In the past 15 years, he's really committed himself to his yeah. family, has opened the Mamba Academy, and he's so good with those girls yeah. and just working on women's basketball. And it takes true champions like that to really progress the WNBA and women's sports on the whole. And sure. I think that's another way he'll be remembered, as a champion for the WNBA. I mean, he was flying out to Connecticut Huge. to go yeah. to UConn. Huge. His, his daughter, Gianna, Really wanted to play for Gino yeah, at, at, yeah. at UConn, so I she think, was right. She was ready to carry yeah. on that name, hardcore. And yeah. she had that whole killer mentality. She was a mamba. Too. She was yeah, a mamba. Exactly. I know. I know. Uh, there, there was that famous story that he told on, on Kimmel about a, yes. a guy coming up to him asking him, "You know, Kobe, you should really have a boy to carry on on your legacy." And Gianna like, was like, "She's like, whoa, 
Oh, oh, I'm right here. Yeah, right here, I'm bro. Right here. Yeah, like, yeah. I can carry on the the Bryant name in the game of basketball. So just all of that stuff. I mean, and it's true. And there's something even too as a as a parent. You know, I, I watch a million parents interact with their kids all the time, and you see these relationships. You see the ones where you're like, "Oh, you guys aren't going to talk to each other hmm. when you're adults." You know, you see <laughs> yeah. these disconnects. I watch him and his daughter. You know, these videos that came out of them together, like. There's an openness there. There's yeah. there there's love there that it's just really tangible that that they have they had a beautiful relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can see it. Like a daughter and her dad don't act like that they, in public where they're talking and having fun. Like no one else in the world is around them unless they're like kind of truly in love. Yeah. You know, and and it's it, it's one of those things. It's like part of this story. And you can even hear it in my voice right now. Every time I think about his daughter and his family in this situation, man, I, I can't. Yeah. It fucking kills me. Yeah. It fucking kills me. And I thought about this driving home yesterday. I'm happy for his younger daughters who may not have much of a memory of him as they it's get true. older. I'm happy that he put out this children's content. I mean, right. in like yeah. a very kind of spiritual way, it's it's almost like... Nobody knows that tragedy is going to strike them, but the way that he, he put out ways content that was like teaching kids lessons about hard work, about really all sorts of things. I mean, he was putting out like YA novels. He was putting out yeah. stuff for almost kind of every stage of life. It, I'm happy that his kids have that because, I mean, like the one is seven months old, the other is, is three. I don't think they'll have as much of the the grief and the trauma, but it's still going to be difficult for them to, to, to go through the world telling them what a great man their father was yeah. that they never knew. They're going to have to fill a very different box than the older girls, for sure. Right, exactly. So I think when you talk about Kobe Bryant's legacy, I think there's a couple of things. Yes, there's the great basketball player. And in this era of player empowerment, Kobe was like the first guy to be like, I'm going to be more than a basketball player. Yeah after this and he'll have the legacy of wanting to pursue that dream he got his oscar which he said he was more proud of than any mvp or finals or anything exactly uh and there was the detail on espn plus where he didn't want to be a studio analyst like he didn't want to be like shaq chuck and 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 kenny he did it in his own way which i think is, is special so i think in closing here i think he'll be remembered as the dad who you want to give your kids the world. I mean, I don't have kids, but I I, I assume you want to give them everything. the world and, yeah. and, and everything. And he was able to take his resources and did that and really invested in the team. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what this last night, the weeks ahead are going to be for Vanessa losing your husband and your daughter. I mean, it's just... So much, but I think the enduring legacy of Kobe's is is going to be how hard of a work, how how locked in of a competitor he, he is, and how he really championed a lot of different things. I mean, we we didn't even talk about uh, how big he probably was for the international brand and the growth of the NBA. I mean, 100%. he spoke a bunch of different languages. So, and he's the only one who got the endorsement of Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ever, ever, and it was because Jordan said. Kobe had done that work to deserve the comparison. Kobe's the only one to have done the work. Right. I mean, MJ signed off. Yeah. He's the only one to sign off. That's a big deal. So champion, global ambassador, 
ambassador for women's sports and just most importantly above all, all of that, great father, great yeah. husband. And for the history of mankind, anytime someone throws anything into anything, they're going to say, Kobe! We are now joined by Bleacher Report senior writer for the NBA, covered the Los Angeles Lakers from 1997 to 2004 for the Los Angeles Daily News. It is the one, the only, Howard Beck. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. So I want to start about... Uh, with the first time you met Kobe Bryant, what was your first interaction with Kobe like? So I got uh, on the Laker beat for the LA Daily News in 1997. So he'd actually already been in the league for a year. So mm. I missed his first season um, when he and Shaq were brought together in 96. So I jump in for year two of the Shaq-Kobe era, and I meet Kobe for the first time in Palm Desert, which <laughs> is where the Lakers used to hold their preseason training camp. Ah. Um, How far out of L.A. is that? That's, that's close? A uh, couple hours. Oh, okay. Middle of nowhere. And um, whatever the college was out there, <laughs> they're using their gym. And so I meet Kobe. Uh, the first story I think I did was about him having, like, added an inch of height because he was still, like, 19 and right. still, like, going through late puberty or something. Crazy. Um and I just remember, you know, the idea that like, oh, Kobe, who was already looking pretty darn good as, as a rookie, as, as skinny teenage rookies go, um, now he's just added another inch. And so that, I, I remember not a lot about that conversation. I just remember meeting him, him being very approachable, very warm. Um, and I, I think the fact that here he was at 19, I was 29. Hmm. So there's a good gap between us, but... I think I might have been the youngest person on the beat at that point. Right. And so maybe there was a little bit more of a, of a feeling of connection or, um, I don't know. I, I, I found that he was easy to connect with from, from the get-go, and I, I liked him immediately. And that, that wasn't always necessarily the case for everyone, or did that, um, did that, that specific issues with, with certain people, did that start to come uh, later? I think, Benny, it depended on when you met Kobe, which stage of his career, what was happening in his life right, right. and with the Lakers at that time, because a lot of stuff happened sure. um, on and off the court, of course. And and I think I was I had the benefit of meeting him early on when there was still, for lack of a better term, a little bit of an innocence about him. Mm. Uh, you know, Kobe came into the league with no, you know, no, no, no extras, right? There was no, right. there was no entourage, and I, I, I use that term uh, with with proper uh, context. Like, there's guys did have entourages back then. Right. The guys had, <laughs> they had, they had guys, they had drivers and assistants. So what? Kobe was just Kobe. Like he had none of that stuff around uh-huh. him. He didn't even have a security team until uh, maybe 2002 or so after he'd wow. gotten married. And they were a couple championships in, and he realized that when he was walking through Santa Monica, he was starting to get like people running up on him, and it was starting to make him and his wife nervous. Huh. And so that's when he first hired a security team. But he didn't have – like Shaq had a bodyguard. Right. Shaq, who was seven feet <laughs> right, and 300-something right, right. pounds, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ha- had Uncle Jerome with him, um, you know, a, a former cop. Kobe had nothing. Did and that – did that was, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like he was he, – he, he was just – yes, he was – uh, cocky and 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 had grand ambitions and 
a huge self-image to an extent, but it was still grounded in the fact that he was a teenager trying to find his way. And I found that there was, as I've, I wrote on Bleacher Report, there was a certain vulnerability about him and an innocence in that, that early stage that I met him. Right. So that being said, you know, something from the outside that, that always uh, sticks with me when I think about Kobe is this, this thing I've seen with a lot of musicians, right? Um, you know, he was called uncoachable by Phil Jackson in that book, the last season. And, and, you know, some of the things I take from his perception of Kobe is the idea that Kobe essentially thought he was right (laughs) when they were having a conversation, when they were having a talk about uh, something playing that he thought he was absolutely correct in his assessment and had the confidence or ego or whatever you want to call it to, uh, to stick with it. And you see the same thing in artists. It's like, um, I can't imagine Prince, you know, at the beginning of his career sitting in a, you know, in a boardroom at, at his record label being influenced by the suits around him. You know what I mean? Being like, maybe you should tone down Purple Rain. Maybe don't, <laughs> maybe don't ride the motorcycle to Lake Minnetonka or, you know, like something like that. And tried to, and of course, Prince would be like, nah, fuck you. I'm Prince. This is what I do. And, and you have, if you want to work with me, this is the way uh, you have to take it. And I feel like Kobe maybe always had that uh, part of him inside, but until there were rings and until where there was success, uh, it's looked at maybe a little uglier. Like, h- how did you perceive that about Kobe? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that all the greats in whatever walk of life are this way or that anybody who has a certain genius about them, as I think Kobe did with the game of basketball, they don't, you don't have to be that way. Right. Like it's, so I don't want to paint it too broad a brush, right. but I do think that there is something kind of inherent in being that gifted about the game right. and the way you see it and understand it. And also on top of it, in Kobe's case, as, as much as he prepared as hard as he worked, that it's no, 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 I've earned this. I, 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 I know, I know where that defense is going to be. I know how to attack that defense. I know where I can get. And I know what I've prepared to do based on all of the training that I've done and the moves that I've refined. And so if there's an arrogance, it was an arrogance born of, of preparation and, 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 and genius. Like he had a, he had standing to make that argument. Now he wasn't always right in the end. Right. And look, you're a player. You're supposed to like kind of go along with what the coach sets out. You know, that's (laughs) always good, good way to go. Um, but you know, listen, sometimes sometimes the player's right. You know, LeBron James is a, is a genius about the game. Jason Kidd is a genius about the game. There are, yeah. there are certain guys who, who could probably tell the coach, you know what, sorry, but you're wrong. And the player <laughs> might actually be right. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, there, there was a tussle throughout Kobe's career with Phil Jackson, with Shaq, with other teammates at times. Um, and he wasn't always right. But I understood why he often believed he was right because he, he just he was he was gifted in a way that most of them were not. I mean, does he achieve the same kind of success though without that kind of braggadociousness? You know what I mean? That idea. No. Yeah. Like no, but I I don't think he does, Benny. I, like I think it's you, like you have to be pretty damn uh, audacious. Yes. Um. And 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 extraordinarily self-confident to to achieve at that high of a level right? right because doubt is 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 toxic doubt erodes 
your abilities. And so it's in, in Kobe's case, I think it was like a, a case of like better to be certain and wrong than to be too nuanced in your approach to the game and lose out of, of a sense of, of um, you know, being too ambiguous about your, your mission at any given time. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He knew exactly how to get it done. And, you know, listen, for all of the other flaws we could point to, for all of the times that he might have taken a bad shot here or there, or a few. <laughs> right. Dude won five championships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't hate on <laughs> with, 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 with two completely different that's right. teams around him. Um, that's, that's not nothing. Now, at the beginning, like, you know, being so close to it, uh, you know, when you were seeing these conversations in the public and you were uh, seeing these on the inside in the locker room, like, were you personally leaning one way or the other? Were you like, I'm kind of with Kobe here. Or I'm kind of with Phil here. Like, like, or did you just have to stay totally ambiguous to cover it correctly? Um, you know, th so this is where I, I, I get into like uh, journalism geekery. So if you're a beat writer, as I was, you're essentially a news reporter assigned to cover the team, right? Right. Like I, I'm not a columnist, columnists write opinion. I'm not, um, I'm not whatever else. I'm not a, I'm not a TV commentator. I'm not a talk show <laughs> right, host. I'm, right. like, I'm a beat writer. As far as any newspaper editor is concerned, and this is an old school way of looking at it, but it's the way that I came up. You're a news writer who happens to cover basketball. My job was not to be taking anybody's sides. Not Kobe instead of Shaq, not Shaq instead of Kobe, not Lakers instead of Kings, not anything. Mm, like I, mm -hmm. I'm a neutral party. Um, and I stuck to that. And I tried my best not to be ever associated with either one more than the other. That said, there were certainly times early on where I felt like uh, I sympathized more with where Kobe was coming from. Only mm -hmm. because Shaq was really tough on him. Mm. And Shaq, as the older player as the veteran as the guy who was established and who had already been to the finals in Orlando he could have been more embracing and right. I think I think Shaq's um just kind of whether it was jealousy whether it was feeling threatened whether it was just this this kid doesn't he hasn't earned his place yet whatever it was Shaq was pretty tough on him at the beginning and I I think I just I naturally felt for Kobe I that that you know he was you know, I felt like he was, you know, almost like the picked on kid at the schoolyard. Um, right. You know, he was the youngest. He didn't fit in with this with this older veteran team initially. He was a bit introverted, um, you know, not obviously on the court, but as a personality. And, you know, so I never took sides, but I did sympathize more with Sha with uh, with Kobe over Shaq in the early parts. And listen, you know, the other part of it, too, as time went on, it was very clear Kobe felt, understandably, that he had earned the bigger role, or, or not the bigger role, but a much bigger role because of how hard he worked on his craft and how much he trained and how much he worked to improve, whereas Shaq would gain a bunch of weight every offseason. Right. Hang out with the schnickens. <laughs> right, and, de and delay his toe surgery as he, as he infamously did one right, year. Right. Um, so it, the divide between them, I always say, was not just about ego and who should run the offense and all that stuff and who gets the most shots. It was also about the fact that Kobe resented the fact that Shaq, as far as he was concerned, wasn't working as hard as he was. Hmm. And and again, I, I understood where Kobe was coming from there. Sure. Howard Beck of Bleacher Report joins us on the tune-up. Howard, you talked in your lovely piece, your lovely tribute on Bleacher Report, about when he introduced you to 
Vanessa. And I just wanted to know if you could give us any insight into their relationship, how it's grown from the time you've met up until yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that one's a little tougher. You know, Kobe and Vanessa started dating, I think, that first championship season, 99-2000. And so I meet her in the training room where Kobe's just like, you know, blissed out, soaked in champagne, <laughs> just enjoying the aftermath of their first championship and and Vanessa's kind of cuddled up next to him, and and I go into co- to talk to Kobe in, in the trainer's room, and uh, you know, it's probably one in the morning or whatever, and then he's and he introduces me to, to Vanessa. And that time, at that time, I don't think any of us had met her. Um, she hadn't been around much. She was, you know, there was a lot of curiosity about the two of them having gotten together, and then later, um, you know, just just them getting married so quickly, which uh, you know caused some strife in Kobe's family, mm-hmm. and. So, you know, Vanessa would then, I think because of all that coverage, I think she kept a distance. So uh, my last couple of years in L.A., um, I'd see her around, but I didn't really know Vanessa at, at that, the, you know, at that level. Um, but clearly they went through some really tough stuff, uh, as we know. We, we could talk about it if, if you guys want to, but that Vanessa stuck with him through all that um, says something about them and, and their relationship as well, because it would have been very easy for for that to to be the end of it in 2003 um but you know the the two of them obviously that four beautiful girls together and um you know that was you know a really a really strong family and i've i've said many times in the last 24 hours that kobe for all the passion that he showed on the court for basketball that was equally strong if not twice as much uh in the way he he loved his, his, his girls and his, his wife and, and how much he was about them. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's, it, was, that's, it was tangible. You could see it. I mean, I was saying to Denny before as a father, you know, you, you can PR images and you can PR video, but there was obviously a, a tangible and natural love and connectedness with him and his daughter. You know, you could just see it, uh, being, being so evident just on the side where, you know, you can't, you can't fake that, you know, that's, that's real love between, between a, a father and daughter there. Yeah. Howard, yeah. how important was the redemptive nature of the last 10 to 15 years for Kobe? Because I feel like in the last 10 to 15, he becomes the mom, Mamba, but then he also becomes a champion of the WNBA. He becomes a champion of women's basketball as, as his daughters got more involved. Yeah, I, I think, you know, every stage of Kobe's career, you, you saw a different dimension of him. And, and that happens when you enter the league at age 18 and you mm. stick around for 20 years. Um, yeah. there, there's, you're going to see very various dimensions. Um, if anybody who's a, a, a you know, um, a, a, a thoughtful, conscientious human being is going to evolve yes, from their you know, late, late teens to their, to their 40s. Um, Kobe was really curious about the world um, and about all kinds of things off the court. And clearly storytelling and media really appealed to him because that was something he sunk himself into. The women's game, Denny, as you mentioned, was something that he championed, um, opening the the Mamba Academy so that he could teach young kids and and, and girls in particular the game and pass on his his knowledge and his work ethic was important to him. Um, He could have just retired. You know, right. and, and that would have been fine. And everybody would have talked about what an incredible player he was and his impact on the NBA. And he could have just faded off in, into the sunset. But uh, he worked, it seemed, just as hard in retirement as he had during his career in, in building this media company and uh, winning an Oscar for a short film. 
and and all of this and 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 investing himself in his daughter's uh, uh, you know burgeoning you know young basketball career, all of that. And so, I think it's great that people got to see it, those, these different aspects of him. Uh, because I I saw glimpses of, of of the human side of Kobe early in his career, which I think a lot of people did not get to see, especially during you know uh, middle stage of his career when he, he became very closed for a time. Right. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, Kobe, you know, famously had this this singular focus for basketball. Again, I always think of Prince because he's the the musical artist I think of who probably had the biggest middle finger through the course of his career from taking influence. And and the thing that always impresses me about it is I know when you're a young person, it's not like you're just talking to your friends or you're talking to your peers. You're talking to people who uh, have credibility before you, who have uh, success and fame and notoriety before you, uh, trying to give you these pieces of advice. You know, I've been in meetings with... Um, you know, a, a label guy who signed this band and this band and this band, you're supposed to listen to every word they say because they're supposed to know what they're talking about. And it takes a real, like, um, uh, we discussed it before, but it takes real, let's, between you and I, uh, Howard, some chutzpah <laughs> to, to keep it going, you know, and to yeah. actually uh, say no and to stick with yourself. Um, and you have a daughter. We, we had a beautiful dinner in Dublin uh, yes. a couple years ago. It's very nice. And... Um, you know, now I have a couple little kids and, and I think about this in regards to Kobe a lot is, you know, we're sort of taught to, to give your kid this like general education, right? You know, you, you introduce them to many things and hope that they latch onto something and then you start to push that way. But for people like Kobe and for some of the all time greats, specifically in music and sports, it seems like the people who have this really early singular focus where from, from a very young age, they're completely committed to the thing they already know what to do. And as a parent, you know, it would semi be my instinct to be like, no, 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 back off, try some other things. But then when I think of the success of people like Kobe Bryant and some of the musicians I know, I wonder if, if you should actually push that. Like, how do you feel about that as a father and, and, um, and, and how much you should push a kid if, if they're actually like 100% committed to something at a young age like that? It's a great question, um, boy. I mean, it, on all kinds of levels. On, on you know, on a sports level, at a time when I think kids have been overspecialized, and there's right. now physical consequences that go with that. With, with, you know, kids who have been playing basketball year mm. round, they're now saying it's a bad idea. The kids shouldn't specialize; they should play a lot of different sports because it, it works out all different muscle groups. And right, otherwise, right. you know, these these kids get to the NBA, they break down because they've, they've got too many miles on them already. Hmm. Um, so it's a fascinating question from a sports science and physiology standpoint, from a parenting standpoint, as, as you uh, noted. Um, I think the way I would look at it, though, Benny, is that you know Kobe's, Kobe's parents didn't have to push him, right? Like uh, Pam and, and Joe Bryant. Joe Bryant was a, a professional basketball player himself, of course. They didn't push Kobe to specialize in basketball. Kobe just had this incredible inherent passion for the game right. that he decided he was going to drive himself right. this way. And I, I think, I think our job as parents is not necessarily to push our kids in any direction, but to, you know, let them discover what, what moves them, what, what, uh, what makes them happy, what, what, what drives them, what, what, you know, what they want to most sink their, 
energy into, right? And then you make it, you, 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 you clear the way for it to happen. Right. You know, right. you, you, you find a way to let them pursue it and hopefully not to the expense of something else. And certainly I don't think Kobe did. I think, I think he was a pretty well-rounded in, individual. Sure, sure. Although I'll say in the course of his NBA career, there were times I thought he was too singularly focused. There were times I thought, my God, you're too obsessed with this game. <laughs> right. that there's more, there's more to life than just basketball. But for that period of time, there wasn't. And then, you know, he got married and he had kids, but I, I still just thought, my, I don't, I don't know how you could be so obsessive about something and still feel well-rounded. Right. Um, but Kobe did. He somehow, there's a contradiction there, but Kobe, Kobe pulled that off. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like that manic lunacy towards something is, is almost detrimental to the people doing it. I've seen it in music too, uh, but it's so inspiring to the people around it. So it's like, it's like it might have been detrimental to his personal life and his emotions, but do these legions of people around the world, myself included, credit their work ethic and their commitment to something to Kobe Bryant if he, if he wasn't that insane about it, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Last one from us, Howard. Kobe's been described as global ambassador for the NBA, an entertainer, an entrepreneur. How will you remember Kobe Bryant and what is his lasting legacy? Oh man, that's, that's such a, a, one of those weighty questions that he has like <laughs> so hard. Um, I, I think, I think I'll remember the, the most obvious part of it, um, which is that he was the, maybe the most driven person I've ever known. Mm. Um, and you know, I've met a lot of people and been fortunate to encounter a lot of people in, in this job as, as a writer, as a reporter, politicians and lawyers and, you know, obviously basketball players and coaches and all kinds of other folks. Um, nobody was as dedicated or as passionate or as immersed in their their chosen craft as Kobe. And so I take the same thing as a lot of people, which is that, guys, did I, I lose you? No. Hold on. Okay. All Screen right, set sorry. paused. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I just, I, I just, I just think that that you know, as with a lot of people, I, 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 it's, it's that part of it that leaves the lasting impression. It's that he was so dedicated, and, and I just know all these people who who took lessons from that, who saw right. how Kobe was in his in, in basketball, and chose to adopt that to their own lives. That they won't be as great as Kobe is athletically, but they could they could adopt the same mindset and dedication and. I think it's a really uh, a phenomenal lesson and example for everybody. So there's that. And then, you know, because of the way this happened and be, you know, I, I, I will, I will remember just how, um, how dedicated a father he was, how, how, how passionate he was too about his family. Um, and which was nice to see, because as I say, during per parts of his career, I wasn't sure. I wasn't yeah, sure if he right. could see beyond basketball and to see him in, in, invest that same energy and love and dedication, um, into his girls, um, was, was moving as well. And yeah, I, I, I will, I will remember him as one of the most, um, incredibly, uh, just fascinating, compelling figures that I had the privilege of covering. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I still can't believe he's gone. Yeah. Howard Beck, check out his work on Bleacher Report, the Full 48 podcast, and, you know, on SiriusXM NBA Radio. Why not, right? <laughs> hey, Howard, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I know you've had an uh, insane couple days here and a lot to take in for yourself as well. Uh, I appreciate it, fellas. It's a pleasure to join you guys, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Thanks. All right. Cool. See you soon, bud.
All right, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, DM us at thetuneuphq on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your minds. Maybe not today, but number one in your hearts. Number one on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, got anything else to add? Just have a great week. And truly, this time, everybody love everybody, please. You have been listening to a very special Mamba edition of The Tune-Up. Mamba out.